Good morning. I just tried to record this first part of the part three atonement and I did the second part and then looked back to start uploading them and according to my recording it looked like <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. Okay so Anyway, needless to say, my first one was a second long and it didn't record the whole piece and I had already read it and then went on to the second part. Ugh. Okay, here we go. Let's start again. Part three, Atonement of the Lady in Gold. The Extraordinary Tale of Gustav Klimt's Masterpiece, Portrait of Adele Blockbauer, written by Anne-Marie O'Connor. And what I had done before, I don't know exactly how I said it, but I am going to finish this book and put them all the pieces up one after another because I'm it's been a year since I've been reading this in pieces and I want to finish it because I want to start my new chapter in writing my own book and doing my own studio work with uh, my paintings in my last this year is a new year turning over a new light leaf I'll be doing a lot of uh personal work basically in my paintings more personal than ever than um than the other pieces in all my body of work all of them are sort of semi-autobiographical but i've decided that it's time to make the book talk about the work paintings do the way keep working on the paintings and now i mean i may throw in a book here and there but this book has been a long haul and i've enjoyed it but it's time to finish this book and move on to some other things. So we're at part three, Atonement. Chapter's called Historical Amnesia, and I can't believe I have to read it again. <laughs> I think my first one was almost 30 minutes of reading. Let's see. It was difficult for the Blockbauers to recover the remnants of their lives after the war. Repentance was scarce. Austria was awash in self-pity. Vienna was a ruin. Allied bombings had reduced centuries of architecture to rubble. The city was divided into four zones controlled by the French, British, American, and Soviet armies. Amputees limped through the streets. A hundred thousand women in Vienna had the trauma of rape. People sold valuables or their bodies to buy food. More than 65,000 Austrian Jews had been murdered. An estimated 5,500 had survived in Austria. Exiles faced a thicket of unwelcoming laws. Some 130,000 Austrian Jews had fled, and many of the survivors had emigrated. They were required to forgive up, to give up their foreign citizenship, citizenship if they wanted to recover their Austrian nationality, a slow process that could take years. For some forms of compensation, citizenship or residency was required. It was easier for many former SS officers to get benefits. The 1946 Annulment Act declared Nazi-era legal transactions null and void, but in practice it was very difficult to get back occupied family homes and apartments that had been Aryanized during the war. Families that tried to reclaim art collections were told the most valuable pieces were patrimony and were asked to donate the works in exchange for ex exit permits to take lesser artworks out of the country. Jewish survivors who returned in this bleak post-war period were tired and saddened. Friends and family had been murdered. Strangers were living in their houses, using the silverware, and selling their heirlooms. 
on the black market, Austrian officials were often very unwelcoming. Few Jews came home. Austrians held on to their valuable art. Cultural institutions were led by veterans of the Nazi era. Officials who had played roles in the art theft during the war were now in the position to deny exiles their paintings or the permits to take them to their new homes abroad. At the concentration camp where Fritz was imprisoned, American soldiers had forced the well-dressed elite of the town of Dachau, holding handkerchiefs over their noses to walk through the fetid barracks and look at the smoking crematoriums that had lived, they had lived alongside for years. But that was Germany. Austrians were allowed to paper over their pasts and portray themselves as unwilling participants. They felt sorry for themselves and for the proud family names sullied with the taint of Nazi collaboration. The Cold War began in earnest, and the West was eager to hang on to Austria. A 1948 amnesty brought a premature end to Austrian denazification. Austrians began to deny their jubilant welcome of Hitler to claim that Austria had been occupied by Germany, like France or Poland. Thus was born the fictional alibi of Austria as the first victim of the Nazis. It was obvious Austrians themselves didn't truly believe this. Austrian men who had deserted the German army to join the Allies were not embraced as returning heroes who fought the Nazi occupation. Instead, they were scorned as traitors. Austrians stubbornly remained in houses stolen from Jews, clinging to their furniture, books, and paintings. Of some, of, of some 35,000 Jewish businesses, only a few thousand would ever be returned to their owners. Nazi officials burned records and changed birth dates, even last names. A cloud of secrecy settled over Vienna, the city on the Danube once known for its love of beauty and pleasure. Austrians learned not to ask too many questions. In this morally contaminated milieu, Excuse me, Austrian museum officials warily greeted U.S. Army Major George Bryant, a friend of the Blockbauer family who had walked into the Albertina Museum. Bryant needed an export permit for 175 Klimt drawings, many of Adele, and agreed to donate some of the drawings to the Albertina in exchange for exit papers for the rest. Otto Benich, the director of the Albertina, slowly leafed through the elegant drawings, choosing 16 of the finest. A young art historian with him, Alice Strobel, was aghast. Why didn't you keep all of them, she asked. It didn't occur to her that exhorting donations from Jewish survivors was as morally corrupt as any Nazi-era robbery. The post-war theft had begun. Maria's brother Robert had contacted her old admirer, Gustav Reinsch. Reinsch was happily married to a woman from the Russian zone of partitioned Vienna, whose former husband had vented his fury at Hitler's defeat by beating her. Reinsch was the first man who gave her food without trying to sleep with her. Reinsch had begun making inquiries into a cultural to culture officials in Vienna on behalf of the Blockbauers about the property they left behind. The new post-war director of the Austrian gallery, Karl Garzaroli, was apprehensive about the Blockbauer Klimps. Garzaroli had reviewed the paperwork and he realized there was trouble.
The terms of Adele's bequest had vi been violated. The horse trading by the Nazi lawyer Eric Fuhrer was a mess. Fernand had donated Klimt's Schloss Kameran Argosy to Austrian Gallery in 1936, but the Belvedere had traded away it away to Gustav Uchiki as part of a complicated deal with Fuhrer for the acquisition of the gold portrait of Adele. The will didn't allow paintings to be sold off. No one had tried to get Fernanon to sign over the paintings. Now he was dead. In the documents in the possession of the Austrian gallery, no mention is made of these facts, Garzaroli wrote his predecessor, Grimschitz, on March, 20, on March 8, 1948. In my view, you should have definitely sorted this out. I'm therefore in a particularly difficult situation. Since available files in the Austrian gallery made no mention of these facts, either in the form of a court notice or a notarized or personal statement by President Fernandot Blockbauer, a statement I believe would have been your responsibility to obtain, I find myself in all the more difficult a situation. I cannot understand why, even though the Nazi, even during the Nazi era, an incontestable bequest in favor of a national institution was not taken into account. The situation is turning into a sea snake. It worries me enormously that so far all the circumstances surrounding the restitution issues are very unclear. It will be in your interest to stick closely to me through all this confusion. That will probably be the best way for us to emerge from this rather dangerous situation. At no time did Garzaroli and, or any other Austrian officials suggest that conscience compelled them to consider giving back to the Klimps. The paintings had been seized in furtherance of a great crime. Returning them might have been a small act of atonement. Instead, on April 2, 1948, Garzaroli wrote Otto Demis at the Federal Monument Office and instructed him to delay for tactical reasons Reinsch's requests for restitution to the Blockbauers. He alerted the Austrian State Attorney's Office to prepare for a possible lawsuit. Feeling far from confident, Austrian gallery officials told Reinsch that Adele's 1923 will give the gallery title to the Klimps. Reinsch tried to be pragmatic. The Austrians seemed willing to give up some less valuable paintings, along with a quarter of the antiques that had been extorted from the family, along with the hefty exit tax. In exchange for, for allowing Teresa to leave Nazi Vienna, but first, the Blockbauers had to renounce any claim to Fernand and Adele's Klimps. Reinsch thought the Blockbauers should take what was being offered. He made a list of the paintings in Fernandot's collection and requested permits to take other works out of Austria, so long as the family relinquished claims to the Klimps. I rely on your sense of justice, Reinsch wrote Austrian officials. Then he reported back to Robert in Vancouver with the other Blockbauer brothers who had changed their name to Bentley. Reinsch wrote jauntily, My ski holiday was wonderful. We don't have to go to Switzerland because it's already expensive enough here. The, the inspection by the monument office has taken place. As I predicted, the civil servants noticed some of the paintings were of the Blockbauer collection. I was called by Dr. Damis. Damis told us that he and the Austrian gallery attached great importance to those paintings and their immediate export was hardly possible. We also touched on the matter of Klimt paintings and the legacy of Adele Blockbauer. According to the Adele's will of 1923, she left the paintings to the Austrian gallery. 
Although this is not in the form of a legacy, there is a document where Uncle Fernandog declares he will fulfill the request. I have given Garazzaroli a declaration that heirs of the Blockbauer of Blockbauer will will f sorry. I have given Garzaroli a declaration that the heirs of Blockbauer will fulfill her wish. Because of this deal, the museum is now very friendly to us, and I made a deal to export the remaining paintings. As for the sloshkammer, Gustav Uchiki, now a Nazi-stained has-been, whose wife had dumped him for the American soldier, says he bought in a, it in good faith and refuses to return it, Reinsch wrote. Many such wartime deals had been declared void, but Austrian officials didn't plan to do that in this case. Instead, they list, enlisted Reinsch to help get a promise, a signed promise from Uchiki to donate his stolen Klimt paintings to the Austrian gallery upon his death. The Austrians didn't try to get signed. The Austrians didn't try to get signed authorization for the Klimt swap from Robert in Vancouver or from Maria in Los Angeles or from Luis, who was then trapped in communist Yugoslavia. Instead, they cut a deal with Reinsch. I'm giving Garzaroli the authorization, Reinsch wrote to Robert, to receive the last Klimt paintings. With this agreement, the museum is now very friendly to us and promises to hang plaques identifying the Klimps as a donation of Adele, of Adele Blockbauer, Reinsch wrote. But the museum simply identified the gold portrait as Portrait of Adele Blockbauer I, with no information on its provenance, just as another museum had hung the portrait of Amelie Zuckerkondel, declining to mention that Amelie had died with her daughter in a concentration camp. Other Vienna, Vienna collectors struggled to get art returned. The Federal Monument Office was notoriously quick to designate art as patrimony and refused exit, exit permits for it. Eric Letters tried in vain to get an exit visa for Klimt's Beethoven freeze. Austrian officials were now determined to acquire the work that had once been rejected by officialdom. They told Letterer he would have to pay for its storage, though the frieze was sitting in the dank Altenburg Monastery, a, a puddle at its feet. Otto Damus had personally banned the export of the frieze in 1950 and dismissed as out of the question Letterer's offer to donate the rest of his art collection in Austria to, in exchange for the frieze's export. Austrian museums ended up extracting much of what was left of the letterer collection anyway. A Bellini painting, a chance to buy a Giacobello del Friore triptych, including 47 drawings and watercolors by Egon Schiele, acquired by the Albertina in exchange for not standing in the way of the export permits of the Klimt portraits of letterer's mother and sister. Damus duplicitously assured letterer that he found this quote-unquote horse trading of art for export permits, distasteful and embarrassing. Letter was beside himself. His mother, Serena, and his sister, Elizabeth, were dead. His aunt, Aranka, and her daughter had been murdered. Now he found himself begging, piece by piece, to get his family's art back from the defeated country that stole it. Judgment was clouded by divided loyalties. Veterans of the Nazi era still controlled the faint fates of paintings. In 1960, Fritz Novotny, 
who co-curated the 1943 Klimt exhibition for Balder von Chirac, became director of the Austrian gallery where colleagues, no, where catalogs, cosmetically erased, erased the Nazi-era provenance of both portraits of Adele Blockbauer, saying the gold portrait was acquired in 1936 and the second portrait in 1928, thereby sidestepping any question of acquisition during the Third Reich. In 1965, Walter Frodel, a curator of Hitler's museum in Linz, was named president of the Federal Monument Office. How he was now well positioned to block the return of art he had helped steal. These Nazi-era holdovers were now would now decide whether to grant the exit permits that were the only way for exiles to regain their art. Austria refused to give Emil Zuckerkandl an exit visa for his family's Klimt poppy field, Mon Wies, which hung in the Zuckerkandl's sanatorium. Emil had tracked down the man who had it. The denial of the exit permit noted that interest in Klimt's paintings is, is increasing, particularly among the Austrian public, who had the right to see their land, the landscape of their native painter Gustav Klimt. The Austrian gallery did offer to buy it for 15,000 shillings, or about $576. Emil was living in Paris. Someday he would re be revered as a founder of the field of molecular biology. For now, he was an impoverished student. His family was reeling from loss. His great-aunt, Amalie Redlick, had been deported to Lotz. His cousin, Nora Stiazny, had died at Belzac with her mother, Ama Amelie Zuckerkandl. Her Klimt landscape, now hanging on Gustav Uchiki's wall, would end up at the Austrian gallery when Uchiki died. Emil said he got a call in 1956 from the collector Rudolf Leopold, who was strangely familiar with his problem. Leopold wrote Emil a cheery, le cheery letter offering him a low 20,000 shillings, or about $770. Emil refused. Leopold wrote again, offering 30,000 shillings, or about $1,150. This time, Emil accepted, though he could have gotten far more for the painting, if only he could get it out of the country. But he couldn't, and he needed the money. Within a year, his Montluis was at the Belvedere, traded by Leopold for Chile's cardinal and nun, and his two crouching women, considered somewhat risque for exhibition at the Belvedere. Emile was suspicious and angry. Some of the paperwork for the swap was signed by a familiar hand, the Austrian gallery's Fritz Novotny, the host of the 1943 Klimt exhibition that was a virtual showcase of stolen art. The war was over, but the wartime theft was still enabling the Belvedere to consolidate consolidate its best Klimt collection ever. In 1966, Maria's old friend Anton, now the Palo Alto, California doctor, Dr. Tony Felsovania, got a call from someone representing Ursula Uchiki, the widow of Klimt's Nazi filmmaker son. The emissary offered to sell back to Felsovania the stolen Klimt portrait of his mother for $11,000. He declined. The Austrians would never give him an exit permit, and there was no way he would ever move back to Vienna. 
The last time he visited, a priest had asked a reunion of Theresianum alumni to bow their heads for two classmates hanged as, a war, as war criminals. Fritz Novotny had moved the Beethoven frieze to the former stables of Prince Eugene at the Belvedere Palace. The substance of artwork is jeopardized and in need of extensive restoration soon in order to save it from further decay, the Austrian Chancellor Bruno Kreitsky wrote Eric Lederer in 1970. Though the financial possibilities in our country are limited, Kreitsky wrote, I would like to appeal to you as a member of family that fostered the path of Austrian art into modernity. He offered Lederer six million shillings for the fr Beethoven frieze. Eric showed little interest. He ra they raised the price. Finally, in 1973, Lederer, then an old man with no more hopes of getting the deteriorating frieze out, reluctantly accepted 15 million shillings, or about $750,000. The Blockbauer Klimps made their way into the Belvedere. Fur sold Birch Forest to the Vienna City Museum in 1941, but the Belvedere officials wrestled it away in 1948, invoking Adele's will. Houses in, Un Houses in Unterrock on Lake Ottersee was taken by the Belvedere in 1948 negotiation with Reinch. Schulsch Kammeram Adersee, donated by Fernandot in 1936, returned to the Belvedere when Vicky died in 1961. The portrait of Amelie Zuckerkondel, which once hung in Fernandot's bedroom wall, would get to the Belvedere after the death of the art dealer who got it during the war. Most elderly Jewish exiles who came to claim their art were dismissed by Austrian officials who demanded that exiles prove they owned the paintings. Many survivors had lost the proof when their homes were sacked or had been assured that their families had donated the works. The officials had the truth locked away in secret files in closed archives. There was no point in advertising that the Austrian Gallery's Klimt collection had been raised to world-class stature by the acquisition of paintings stolen from its Jewish citizens during the war. Publicly, Administrators who knew cynically papered over uh, publicly. Administrators who knew cynically papered over the histories of the paintings. The paintings raised many questions. Austrians who knew the answers kept silent. And then we go on to part another recording that I will put up after this one. And it's the children of the Tantalus the heirs of history and the library of theft will be next. Thanks for listening.